Hey, thanks for tuning into my podcast. This is Big Head on the Block, hosted by me, Tim Henderson, aka Big Head. Hey, welcome back to Big Head on the Block. Today, we're going to talk about the decisions supervisors have to make. As a supervisor, you have obviously come come up through the ranks and have gained knowledge, wisdom, and experience over the course of your career that leads to the opportunity for you to become a commander, a sergeant, lieutenant, captain, or whatever the case may be. As a sergeant, you're typically assigned a squad in the field. In Baton Rouge, the way it works is there's two sergeants per squad, and they separate the men. So if there's 12 people in the squad, one sergeant has six and the other sergeant has six. And then both sergeants and the remain and the whole squad both work for a ship commander or a lieutenant. So on this particular morning, what was going on was this. We had a dispatch of shots fired in the Valley Park area, which is around College Drive in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We were given initial information that a black male had been shot multiple times and was alert and conscious. So as I arrived on scene, they had other officers that had already arrived there prior to me getting there, and they gave me a briefing on what, what had happened. We secured the scene. We made sure that EMS was en route, and they showed up shortly thereafter and began working on the individual victim who was shot. Now, I happened to know this particular victim, so I was trying to talk to him and see if he would tell me who shot him. And, of course, he gave me the old big head, I don't know who it was, routine. And, you know, I got to respect him for that. I, I don't sit here and press people. You know, I'm like, hey, man, if I got shot, I'm telling who did it. But, you know, the streets work different. So he didn't want to give us any information about who did it. And, and maybe he honestly didn't know, but I'm sure he did. So as I'm monitoring this scene, making sure that, you know, everything's handled right, that we're calling the appropriate detective division out and making sure that everything's secure and all the details are handled at the scene. Well, at the same time, simultaneously on the other side of town, there was another incident occurring where my squad had responded to a male subject who was in a some type of mental crisis over a breakup. From what I gathered over the air, he was held up in a room and was threatening threatening harm to himself. He had doused himself with lighter fluid. He had doused the entire, um, it, it wasn't a, a huge apartment. It was like a studio apartment, but he had doused the whole studio dep- apartment with lighter fluid also. And one of my guys was actively talking to him. I have another sergeant with me that day. I had an acting sergeant in the field. And because I didn't want to leave him with the responsibility of handling that scene, I left the scene that I was at because everything had been handled there. We were just waiting on him to be transported to the hospital. Now, before we transition to the next scene, let me just go on the record and say this. If you shoot me three times in my torso and I'm able to talk, I promise you I'm telling everything I know. I don't care what you call me. I don't care if you call me a rat Call me whatever you want. If you're willing to take my life, I'm willing to tell everybody who you are, just for the record. So as I drive away to the next scene, I make a phone call to one of my officers who is on scene to get a briefing. And this is basically what I was told. We have a subject in a mental crisis over breakup, doused himself in the whole area with lighter fluid. 
he has a big lighter on him, so he has the ability to ignite himself and everybody else should he choose to go that route. I asked him what resources we had there. He indicated to me that the fire department was on scene and that EMS was standing by for emergency medical attention. So kudos to my officer who was there making those decisions. Randy, you did a good job. Next thing, as I'm driving, I'm still processing what other resources I need. So I say to myself, we can't utilize the taser because it may ignite the lighter fluid. So we need a less than lethal component on scene. I broadcast over the radio to anybody who's listening. Is there anyone with a beanbag shotgun that's available? I got an answer from an officer who worked a different area. So he responded to the scene. So now we have fire EMS. We have multiple officers on scene. We have a beanbag shotgun, which is less, less than lethal force heading that way. So the next thing I do is I advise headquarters to get us a negotiator and to notify SWAT so we can have a SWAT element out there just in case we need a tactical entry. Well, as we're arriving, it's okay. Now let me get, let me go back a little bit. It's early, early in the morning. I don't even think it's, uh, it's probably seven, seven thirty, eight o'clock at the, at the most. So a lot of these people that I'm calling the SWAT element and the negotiators, they may not actually be at work right now. And, you know, we in Tigerland, we are a long ways away from where any of the offices offices are. So it may take an extended time for them to get there. So we kind of on our own until that happens. You know, a lot of people don't understand that Uniform Patrol has a huge responsibility in situations like this because you have to make the decisions. And as a supervisor, everything you do while you in charge and in command of a scene is going to be scrutinized. It's going to be analyzed. And then people are going to give you a debriefing and tell you what you did right and what you did wrong. So I'm getting close to the scene and I'm thinking to myself, man, I've never even heard of a situation like this. I have no reference point. Now, a lot of officers, old officers, you know, they'll tell war stories and stuff. And listen, I pay attention to these uh, stories because you can get a lot of good content from some of these stories. You can get an advantage knowing that somebody else has already dealt with these situations. I didn't have any stories, any reference point or anything. So basically I'm on my own to come up with the best strategy possible. As I arrive on scene, I see all the resources in place that we had talked about. And one thing of note is the fire department had already, um, I guess the word would be deployed a hose to the area. So they were not in view of the window where my guy was actively talking to the person in crisis, but they were close enough to where four or five steps, they would be able to engage the, uh, the target area with, with the uh, water. So that, that, you know, made me feel a little bit better about a tragic ending, right? We don't, we don't want somebody to catch themselves or anybody else on fire, but the fire department was close enough to where I thought we had a, a good tactical advantage to, to stop anything. Should it, reach that level. Now I can hear the dialogue between Jason, which is one of my senior officers on scene and the, the subject, they have good dialogue, good content. Jason's doing his very best to, to tell this guy, Hey, you know, this is what we need from you. Um, this is what we have available to you. And as I'm listening to it, I want to know if I'm able to 
interject myself into this conversation without making this guy upset. So I called one of my other senior guys, Randy, and I said, hey, give me an idea of what this guy's mindset is as far as other people. Has anybody else talked to him besides Jason? And he indicated to me that he was cordial with everybody, but he was kind of focused on on Jason specifically, you know, with the conversation. But he thought he could introduce me without, you know, any kind of uh, problem. I don't you don't want to introduce yourself just to just to be involved in a situation. Right. If, if you are looking for an advantage as a supervisor, you want to be involved in the process, but you don't want to mess up a process that's already been established. So if you have a rapport established with a negotiator, if you will, and a subject, you you this is my opinion. I've never taken any formal classes, but you know, I don't I don't want to disrupt that rapport. But they indicated to me that they thought it would be okay uh, to introduce me. So the introduction was made. I told him that I was a sergeant and that these guys work for me and that we wanted him to let us offer him help and I made it perfectly clear to him that he had done nothing wrong, nothing illegal, and that he was in no trouble whatsoever. All we wanted to do was get him some resources to help him through this particular crisis that he was uh, involved in at the time. And, you know, when people are under a mindset where they think taking their life is, is an option, you have to be really focused and make sure that whatever content you deliver to this person is on point and, and it doesn't do anything to enrage them or to make them um, do something to themselves, you know, because of, of a certain emotion that they're feeling. So, you know, you kind of kind of toe the line whenever you're talking to them. So, you know, we're nice, we're cordial. I see that he, he still focused on Jason. So I let Jason continue to talk to him. Jason did a really good job of, of talking to him. And like I said, I didn't feel the need to, uh, to take command of that, negotiation just because I was a sergeant. So Jason's talking to him. It should be noted that this guy does have a big lighter in his hand and he could ignite himself at any time. So that was always something we had to be prepared for. Well, my less than lethal showed up. I devised a plan away from where the negotiations were. I devised a plan for an entry team just in case we had to make an emergency entry and the beanbag shotgun, as well as the contingency of about four officers you know, we 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 stacked and we told them what we needed uh, for a rapid response. And we gave them all instructions on what their particular mission was if we had to breach the door. Now, this is the last last resort. You don't want to do this unless you have to. But you never know if the people that are involved in the crisis is going to, you know, make you react like that. So you always have to be prepared and you have to be prepared immediately. So I had them stacked. I had them on standby. So when I walk back to the area, now we're we're in close uh, confines. It's not like you know we're we're uh, half a mile away from each other. We're ten, twelve steps away from each other, and you know whenever we're figuring out how to stack and stage, we're a little bit away from the window, out of view of Jason and the subject. Right. Well, out of my peripheral, I see two of my officers, Randy and Nat, standing there to to my left as I'm facing the window. I don't think much about it. But then I, I turn a little bit more and I see that they're hold, holding the fire hose. And I'm like, what are you doing? And they gave me some harebrained idea that because the fire department is not armed, that they're going to 
if we have to utilize the the fire hose, that they're they're the ones who are going to uh, to man it and deploy it. And I, I looked at them, and now I was a volunteer fireman, and I'm sure neither one of these knuckleheads had any idea of the pressure that was going to come from that hose if it was turned on from the truck, especially if he did it at maximum capacity. So all I see in my mind right now is these two trying to hold on to this fire hose whenever it's, you know, filled to capacity with water and, and it's pressurized, right? All I can see is this thing flying around, knocking us all out and the guy inside having to, having to rescue us. Right. So I'm like, okay, y'all listen, have any one of y'all ever worked a fire hose? And they like, no. And I said, listen, I was a volunteer fireman a long time ago. If you don't know what you're doing, those big metal clamps at the end of the fire hose where they have a handle to, uh, to, you know, to activate the water. I said, when that turns on, y'all two going to be flying around and that's going to hit us. And we're going to all be knocked out. They're going to have to come rescue us. So how about, how about this? How about y'all go back to doing your job as a police officer and the two firemen that are standing next to you. And I looked at them, I said, this is y'all job. Can you please take the hose back from our officers so we can uh, have a success story and not all getting knocked out by them two trying to do something they're not familiar with. So they gave the fireman back the hose. And uh, I told the fireman, I said, man, that was a, that was a bad decision, but I'm sure they talked you into, into thinking it was a good idea. I said, do not let them two have that hose again. And, you know, I mean, I say it jokingly, but really it was kind of a serious matter because those hoses, when they're pressurized there, there's an extreme amount of, uh, you have to have a lot of strength to hold them. And 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 I have seen them flapping in, in the air. And those big metal, I think it's copper on the end of them. I'm not sure. But if they hit you, they will kill you. So now we're going to transition right back to the interrogation. So we convinced this guy. Jason convinces this guy, not me, because I'm still letting Jason uh, talk to him. He convinces this guy to come to the door. And at that point in time, we're thinking, hey, you know, this this hopefully will end peacefully. So as he comes to the door, he unlocks the door. He doesn't open it right away, but he unlocks it. Of course, you know, we don't try to we don't try to do anything to to in, in, incite him. So all we're doing is waiting for him to walk out. Now, because of the situation, we have to have people close and we have to have people that can engage him. Uh, it, you know, immediately when he comes out, if necessary. Now, if he just walks to it, that's one thing, but you never know what somebody's going to do. So you have to be prepared. Well, when he gets to the door, he cracks the door open and he sees that there's other officers there and that he should have seen these officers already. And he, it, for whatever reason, it agitates him. But, you know, we have to have people close. And so, you know, it, there's no other way around it. We have to be able to subdue him if he comes out. Uh, and it, look, he could have tried to ignite himself right there. You know, we, we need to be able to go hands on. So anyway, he got irritated, locked the door back, went back in the house. We're still waiting on SWAT and we're still waiting on the negotiator. So we're doing the best we can. Right. And, and, and we had him at the door, but now he's back in the room agitated. A few minutes go by. He he starts getting more and more agitated. And for whatever reason, he decides that he had had enough. He takes the lighter and starts flicking it. He doesn't, uh, the lighter, thank goodness, the lighter, either it was empty or a guy was on our side and he wouldn't let it ignite. So as that was happening and he realizes that he wasn't going to be able to light himself on fire, he went to the back 
of the room, which, like I said, it was a shotgun apartment, so it was just all in one room. He turns the stove on, and lucky for us, it was an electric stove. But the heating element started getting red. He takes his shirt, and he puts it on the heating element. At that particular time, Jason is at the window. Jason goes through the window, unlocks the door, because it was only uh, half a step away. My people were already lined up. I gave them the order to breach. We made entry into the apartment. At the point in time where we made entry, he was backed up, and there was a knife either in his hand or in close proximity to his hand. So one of the elements in on the uh, entry team had the beanbag shotgun, utilized the beanbag shotgun, shot him in the torso area. He fell to the ground. The knife was still in close proximity to his hand, but uh, eventually we were able to subdue him with with little force because he he wasn't he didn't try to resist at all. He just kind of um, allowed us to handcuff him. But you know he was still hollering and he was mad because he thought we shot him. And we were trying to tell him no, we didn't shoot you. It was a beanbag shotgun. But he was pretty frustrated, irritated, and agitated about that. So we get him out on the stretcher and. You know, we handcuff him. We get him out on the stretcher. We take the handcuffs off of him because this is not a, a police matter where this guy needs to go to jail. This is something where he needs to be evaluated by the mental professionals and 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 in lieu of going to jail. And we probably could have charged him with several things, but there's actually no need to do that. There's no um, nothing could be accomplished by putting this guy in jail. He needed some counseling, right? So as he's leaving. You know, this is kind of funny. As he's leaving, he's still mad because he thinks Jason lied to him. Now, I'm cracking up on the mic. I tried to I tried not to laugh, but he thinks Jason lied to him because because we shot him, but we didn't shoot him. We we kept telling him it was a beanbag shotgun. And look, you have a knife or you have access to a knife. We have to do something to subdue you. We didn't use lethal force. And and probably if you if you review the scenario, it probably uh, could have risen to the level of lethal force. But we had some very experienced officers on scene. Uh, we had the less than lethal set up. So uh, kudos to Scotty for deploying the beanbag shotgun and and taking care of the situation in that manner. Well, as the supervisor, I'm responsible for everything at this scene and everything that occurred during the time that we were there. So I took ownership of it. Of course, a few minutes later, the SWAT element commander and the negotiator arrived. I gave them a briefing on everything that happened. And they gave me some insight on what they would have done compared to what I did. And basically I understood what they were saying. Uh, the argument that I made on behalf of how we handled the situation was this. We had a human being that was in a crisis situation. Yeah, we exposed ourselves to some harm. We exposed ourselves to potential danger. However, the outcome was we took this guy into custody, released him to EMS to get the medical attention and the counseling that he needed for this crisis that he was in. So everything that we did I was 100% okay doing, and and I told them this. You can be critical all you want, and you can tell me what you would have done, and I understand it, and in the future, I'll take that into consideration. However, we kept a guy alive today that was intent on dying. 
And that is something that I'm extremely proud of. I'm extremely proud of the way my officers acted and reacted. We did our job that day, and it was a positive outcome. If you want to sit here and analyze everything that I should have done, then all I can say is this. I'm comfortable with the outcome. Y'all have a different agenda when it comes to to the debriefing. Y'all are trained negotiators and trained SWAT people. And there's no animosity here, so please don't don't take it as that. I understand that they're professionals at what they do, but in uniform patrol, you have to be a professional at everything. You have to be able to react to every situation. You have to be able to come up with ideas, strategies, and solutions like I did on this particular day. So other supervisors, if you're listening, think about what I did. Think about what my guys did, my girls did. Think about everything that happened here, and then you formulate a plan in case you're ever exposed to a situation like this. I didn't have a reference point. You have one now, and if you think something should have done different, then maybe you'll have the opportunity to do it. But listen, my guys all deserved a life-saving award for everything that happened there, and I took responsibility, and I stood up for everything that happened before I got there and while I was there. And the end outcome, which was a human being is still on this earth, thanks to the reaction of my officers and everything worked out the way it was supposed to. It's in God's hand overall. Supervisors out there, it's important that you use your knowledge, your experience, your wisdom. Listen to these old cops that tell you stories. You don't have to laugh at them, but you need to listen to them because especially when they're describing situations that they were involved in i didn't have anything to draw upon except a freaking movie right that's the one thing i knew that in rambo they pinned this guy against the wall so that was really the only uh help i had everything else i had to ab lib um i'm happy i'm happy with the outcome i had a good group of officers there that day the officers did their job professionally and they did what we took an oath to do to protect and serve We protected this guy and we served this guy and we helped him continue his life when he was at a point where he didn't think life was worth living. So when you see a cop, thank a cop because this stuff happens all the time, not necessarily these situations, but we're constantly in a situation where we're having to make decisions as supervisors, but that's why we get paid the big bucks, right? Before we leave, I want to say this. There was a quote by General Patton and I'm only going to paraphrase it. He said, a good plan now is better than a perfect plan next week. All right. So you come up with the best plan that you can at the moment and you live by your decisions. That's what you do as a supervisor. You take the money, you take the rank, you take the responsibility. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Big Head on the Block. I'm Tim Henderson, the host. I look forward to dropping another podcast soon. Please give us any comments, likes, dislikes, or any topics y'all would like to discuss. Thank you.